Amos chapter 3. If you haven't found it by now, just pretend that you have, and um, don't rustle any pages. Somebody will think you don't know what you're looking for. Amos chapter 3, I'm going to read one text verse this morning, and then we're going to work our way through this chapter as we look at the sermon this morning. Verse 12, thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd takes out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria and the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. As we look over the next weeks, as we will be looking at the end times and unveiling the future of what God is going to do in future times, we're going to take several weeks and our staff pastors are going to be opening the service each week with a glimpse at what God is going to be doing in the end times in the future uh, from a Christian's point of view, almost from a heavenly point of view. We often take that approach, and so many of you are familiar with that. We'll be looking at the rapture of the church and the, the, the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the eternal state. And so that's sort of the, the heavenly point of view, the believer's point of view. And then in each service, I'm going to be preaching on what the earthly view is going to look like, uh, the Antichrist, the tribulation period, Armageddon, the great white throne judgment, what it looks like from the side of an unbeliever so that we can get a full perspective of what God has to say in prophesying what is going to come to pass. But this morning in preparation for that, I think it's key that we understand why prophecy. Why should we care about prophecy? Why should we study it? Why has God given it to us? If we're not careful, we'll fall into one of two extremes. And many years I have found, my, I found myself over in one extreme because of the, the first extreme that I'll mention. On one side is those people that you, you, know, you, you go by their house and they're sitting in the middle of their living room floor and they've got prophecy charts and revelation charts all the way around them. And they can tell you everything about the book of Revelation and everything about Daniel. They can tell you what the hangnail on the third toe on the left foot of the, of the image of Daniel what it represents and what it stands for. I mean, they know, and they don't just know, they know. And if you disagree with them, you may not be saved. We understand that on some of these things, there's a little bit of different view, and we, we can disagree, we can disagree to agree. We can agree to disagree on some of those issues, but they take it so far, they're so intense about this that that's all they think about, and they want to know, they want to go to a prophecy conference and they read prophecy books and like those things are wonderful and they're great they're tools that God uses I used to have a, a lady that about every month or so would come up and say when are you going to preach on revelation when are you going to preach on revelation and the, the smart aleck in me wanted to say when you start living the other 65 books I'll think about preaching that one but the spiritual pastor side of me said well when the spirit moves and my attitude was I just don't even want to feed that kind of stuff I don't want to. I don't want to get. So I tended up. I, I tended to be over in the other extreme end, and that's well. Let's just ignore prophecy. Let's not. I, I don't want to be that person. So I'm going to get over here. And a friend of mine came to me one time. He was a new pastor. First been at his church like two or three weeks. He said, "I'm getting ready to start a series on Revelation." <laughs> wow, man, you are brave. Much braver than I am. <clears throat> 
He said, what's, your, what, 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 what's a good commentary on Revelation? I said, well, I can name a couple of them, but let me give you my commentary on the book of Revelation. He said, what's that? I said, rapture good, tribulation bad. That pretty much sums it up. That's pretty much my attitude was, that's all I need to know. A bunch of bad stuff's going to happen, but I'm not going to be here, so I'm not worried about it. The problem with that is, is that it was really an overreaction to the person over here with all, all those great charts and the colored pictures and all those details. And there's a biblical understanding right in the middle. And the biblical understanding of this is that prophecy is important because it was given to us by God. Do you know that a great portion of the Bible is prophetic material? One Bible student put it this way. He estimated that more than one-fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are full of promises of Christ's return. Over 1,800 references to his coming in the Old Testament, 17 Old Testament books. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there's more than 300 references to the Lord's return. One out of every 30 verses. So it is a prominent theme. It's a prominent understanding. Listen to this. For every prophecy on the first coming of Christ, there are eight on Christ's second coming. So it's an important truth for us to understand. So why is it important? Well, God gave it to us. And anything that God gave to us is important. How many of you believe that the Bible is sufficient for everything that we need in faith and practice? That's something that we hold to. That's the second phone that's gone off. Now, folks, turn your phones off. I'm trying to be spiritual up here. Call them back. Say, my pastor's preaching right now. That's important. More important, it's the word of God. So we focus on, we can fall into those extremes, but it's important because God put it in his word. God said, this is for you. I want you to know this. What I want to do this morning is look at this passage in the book of Amos. And I want to, I want to see some truths that will help us understand, that will shape our understanding as we go through the next weeks and we look at future events, unveiling the future, seeing what God has to say to us. There are many things that God does not say to us in his word. And where God has not been clear and God has not been explicit, the only thing that we can take from that is it's not essential for us to know. So there are some details. Anytime I've preached on prophecy or future events, people come up and say, well, what about this? I'm going to tell you the most three profound words that I know in the English language when people ask me those kind of things. I'm going to say, I don't know. Because if God didn't reveal it to us, then it's something he clearly didn't think we needed to have. It's not essential. So there are some things, there are some holes in our knowledge about future events. But why? Why should we care about it? Why has God given it to us? I want you to see some truths in this. And I want you to understand that prophecy, first of all, is not merely to inform our human curiosity. Some people have this idea about, oh, I've got to know the future. I've got to know what this happens. I've, I've got to know about this. There's a desire with the, the prognosticators and the fortune tellers and the, the ones that always give the yearly, um, the yearly predictions in advance. Gene, what was it, Gene Dixon that used to give all, you know, you go by the grocery store and you'd see the little papers there, Gene Dixon's predictions for 1987 or what, all those things. This is what's going to happen. And we have a curiosity about the Bible. We want to know. This is not just to satisfy your curiosity. It's not to, not to 
pique your, your prophetic or scratch your prophetic itch. Neither is it to cause us to delve into this self-identification, this constant um, fulfillment, this, this um, entertainment with all these fantastic uh, modern-day identifications that this is what this is. Again, there's things that will happen to people say, do you think this is that? Do you think this is what the... I don't know. It could be. But do you know that for hundreds of years, people have identified, well, this is... Boy, this person's clearly the Antichrist. Over a thousand years ago, people were identifying who the Antichrist was or identifying what the mark of the beast was. I can tell you some things that's certainly not based on Scripture, and I did that in 8 o'clock service because that crowd's a bunch of conspiracy theorists. They needed straightening out. But I know y'all don't need that, so I'm not going to go into it. I can tell you a few things based on the Bible that it's not. But as far as what it's going to look like, well, that, I see some things that could possibly be that. I certainly see how the Antichrist is going to deceive a lot of people. And it's possible to, but to know, and that's not why God gives us prophecy. If it were only to identify in the time, this is who that is, then prophecy would only be profitable for the people that were living in the moment when it is fulfilled. Ah, that's who he was talking about. But prophecy is profitable not just for the moment it's fulfilled, but for every generation between when it was given and when it was fulfilled. Prophecy of the future events is profitable for us. It was profitable 100 years ago for D.L. Moody and 200 more years ago for Jonathan Edwards and hundreds of years ago for the church fathers. It's profitable for every... 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is profitable. And so if it is, then we need to understand it. What does prophecy tell us? I want you to see three things in this text this morning that prophecy reminds us of. Prophecy, first of all, should remind us of humanity's problem. And the problem is rebellion. Look with me in verse 1. I want you to notice some particular phrases. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken. Look at this phrase, against you. When you have a word against you, Israel, it's not something that is just to you. It's not a prophecy that you're going to enjoy. This word is against you. You've done something contrary to God's will and God's word. They have gone astray. Look in verse 2. He says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your, all your iniquities. What is, they've broken God's law. They have rebelled against God. Look down in verse 10. They know not to do right, saith the Lord. They store up violence and robbery in their palaces. They have corrupt leadership. Verse 14, he speaks of their transgressions. He said, I'm going to visit them. He speaks of their idolatry, the, the idols that the king had placed. The king was concerned that the people of the ten northern tribes would go back to Jerusalem to worship, and when they went back, their political ideology, their political allegiance would change. And he mixed political ideology with religious worship. That is a dangerous thing to do. It's a danger in our day. Anytime we mix the two. And so he built these idols. God said, I'm going to judge those idols. Notice in verse 3 through verse 6, he gives this series of of statements 
Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth? There's no gin, there's no trap for him. Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people be not afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord have not done it? What is he saying? There's a whole lot in these and a lot that we don't always understand. But the clear thing is, something's about to happen in consequence to what has taken place. You can't have actions without... You can make your choices, but you can't choose your consequences. Something is about to happen because you have sinned. We need to understand that God's work in this world is in response. What takes place in prophecy often, and especially in this case, and as we look through the the future events, when God's justice will be poured out on this earth, it is in response to the rebellion of man. It is in response. That's the greatest problem in our world today. It's the same problem that's been here since the Garden of Eden. It is man's rebellion against God's authority. And it is easy for us in our day to look around at the egregious and evil sins of our day and to say, wow, we live in the worst possible times. And yet every generation has looked around and said, look at the evil that's going on in our day. The problem is that the deep-rooted sin is not the exterior things just that we see. God will judge iniquity, but the greatest iniquity is the self-righteous rebellion of man's heart. And there are those who are sitting in churches with self-righteousness and Phariseeism and self-worship filling their hearts, and their sin is just as evil and just as much rebellion against God as the worst heathen in this pagan world. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're all up in arms about the evil that's going on in our world, and the great rebellion of your heart is the self-righteousness that makes you think, I'm good enough without Jesus. That's the rebellion. And when God pours out his justice, as we'll see in a few weeks, during the tribulation period, and we read about the trumpets, and we read about the seals, and we read about the vials or the bowls of judgment that will be poured out on this earth, seven of each, they are poured out in response to man's rebellion against God. Man's rebellion will finally have come to completion. It will have come to its full, and God will pour out his justice. God, who in his mercy and in his grace for thousands of years has tolerated the wickedness and the rebellion of man, and he has extended grace. He has dealt with man in every possible way. He has dealt with man under human conscience and human government and the law of God, and he is now dealing with man under grace. And there will come a time when he will deal with them through the judgment of the tribulation, and he will deal with them through the direct rule of the millennial kingdom. And every single time, man's response to God will be to shake his fist in the face of God and say, I will not be ruled by you. That's the problem, and prophecy reminds us of what the real problem is. If we're not careful, we'll get caught up in our culture. We'll get caught up in the flaws of our culture, and we'll think this is what the issue is. But the greatest need of our world today is not a political revolution. It is a spiritual revival. 
The greatest need of our world today is not to convert people to our way of thinking. It is to convert them to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the rebellion of man reminds us of that. The events of the end times will be the iniquity of humanity coming to the full. You remember when God said that he was waiting to bring Israel out of Egypt into the land of Canaan until the wickedness of the Amorites came to completion or came to be full. He waited. He gave them opportunity. We live under the age of grace when God is giving every man everywhere the opportunity to repent. And man stays in rebellion against God. Prophecy reminds us of God's response. How does God respond to man's rebellion? Well, he responds. The answer is his response is righteousness. His righteous response is twofold. God will always do what is right. Can we agree on that this morning? God will always do what is right. What does what is right look like? Well, first of all, this passage, this prophecy tells us that God speaks in verse 8. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Amos says, I can't help but express the message that God has put in my heart. And anyone who ever stands to preach the word of God understands that when you've studied a passage and God has burned that into your heart, you can't help but prophesy and proclaim, thus saith the Lord, this is the word of God. And the word of God to his people and the word of God to this world is an expression of God's mercy and God's grace. He has spoken in the times past by his prophets, but he has spoken in these last days, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, by his Son. You see, these prophecies point us to Christ. They point us to the one that is to come. And God has given his word. He has expressed his word for us to understand and for us to know and for us to hear and for us to heed and to, to obey. And God says, I, Amos says, I've got to speak. Who can but prophesy? God's spoken. God speaks and his grace is part of that, his mercy. But then God judges. You see in verse 10, God's response to sin has to be judgment. Boy, we're going to read in, in the book of Revelation those terrible judgments that will be poured out. And the justice of God is a powerful truth that many people struggle with. They want justice in this world. And when God brings perfect justice, they they. They quibble with it a little bit. That seems a little harsh. But God will have given us thousands of years of opportunity. Look what he says in verse 10 and 11. They know not to do right, saith the Lord. They store violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even around about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. God says, I'm going to judge this. God's judgment is the ultimate response to the continued and increased rebellion towards God. What's going to happen when we get to the, when you read the book of Revelation, God pours out judgment and it says they did not repent, they did not acknowledge God, they rebelled even more. They were angry with God. That's what happens when man's heart is in rebellion. God responds with righteous judgment. He will do what is right. There's horrendous things that will take place. 
that they are God's righteous judgment. But God not only responds with righteousness in his judgment, the righteousness of God is expressed through his mercy. And we come to our text verse, verse 12. And he uses a gory yet beautiful image of a shepherd. When we read about the shepherds in the Bible, we like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters. And we have this beautiful image in our head of the shepherd with his staff and his nice long robe. And he probably has a full beard and he's, he's walking alongside and the sheep are following him with deep green grass. And we get this image in our head. What a wonderful picture of a, of a shepherd. But Amos... God says to Amos, here's the picture of a shepherd I want you to have. I want you to have the picture of a shepherd standing there with two legs and a piece of an ear, bloody, gory pieces left over of a sheep that has been devoured by a lion. And the shepherd is standing there, and he has blood all over him, and he has sweat pouring from his brow, and he is holding these gory pieces. What is this image? What does this mean? It means that at times, as the shepherd is caring for the sheep, there are wild animals that attack. We know this from the story of David. Remember the story of David? When he stands before Saul, he's getting ready to go and face Goliath, and he says, "Uh, when I was keeping my father's sheep, there was a lion that came and attacked my sheep, and I killed that lion with my bare hands. I, I used this sling, and I killed this lion. And he said, then a bear came and attacked my father's sheep, and I killed the bear. And God helped me to kill the lion, and God helped me to kill the bear. God will help me to kill this uncircumcised Philistine. Love that story. Great story. But that battle, that fight that he fought. So just imagine with me, if you will, this morning, a shepherd standing, and he's looking, and he's watching his flock. He's concerned, and he cares about his flock. And as he's watching, he sees something moving across the the hillside, and he looks, and he can tell that something is coming toward his flock. And if you've ever watched some of those nature programs, you know how a a lion or a a wild cat will will move, and they'll, they'll, if you've ever had a cat, you've seen them do this too. Can I get an amen from our cat owners? You know what, they come and they start creeping up. They think they're going to attack something. It might be your toe in a sock that's wiggling, and you've ever had your foot attacked. And they're creeping up on the prey. They're, they're, calming, they're coming in. And I used to watch the old uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And you'd see that animal, that lion. And the shepherd sees that, but the, it's across the field. And before he can get to that sheep, before he can throw his rod, before he can get his staff over there, that lion has attacked. And when he gets there, the lion has the sheep in the mouth. And if he's a hireling shepherd, he will just step back and he'll let the lion have the sheep because he's not going to risk his life over a sheep that's already lost. But if he's a good shepherd, like our father is, if he's a good shepherd like Jesus is, he's going to rush in there and he's going to grab hold of that lion and he's going to grab what he can of that lamb and he's going to fight that lion with everything that he has because he knows that there's not much chance. He knows what the end result is likely going to be, but he wants to know that at the end of the fight, at the end of the battle, that he can stand there with something left to show that he cared and that he fought with everything that he has. And so he pulls on that lamb and he fights with that lion and he pulls and he tugs and he fights and he gets the blood of the lamb all over him and he's fighting and it's hard work. And when the lion runs away with the lamb in its mouth, 
he stands there and he looks at his hands and God says, there's going to be two legs or maybe just a piece of an ear. That's all that's left. How is this the mercy of God? God says to Israel, judgment is coming. I must respond to sin. But in the midst of this judgment, there is mercy. There is mercy because you're going to be taken away, but there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be something left. It may not be much. It may just be two legs, or it may even just be a a piece of an ear, but there's going to be something that's left because I love you too much to let you be completely destroyed. And I'm going to fight with all that I have. And God said, I am that shepherd. You are my sheep. See, God always has a remnant. God often speaks about a remnant. We know, for example, in the story of Noah, when God poured out judgment on this earth, that he kept with Noah a remnant of eight. And we read about later in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 45, where uh, Joseph says to his brothers, God has kept me alive to preserve you as a remnant. Seventy souls that came out of Canaan and go into Egypt. And we go further and we come to the story of Elijah as we've been studying in our Sunday school lessons. And in a few weeks we'll see Elijah under the juniper tree and he's discouraged and he's depressed. And God says, wait, I still have a remnant in the nation of Israel. There are 7,000 that have not kneeled the knee to Baal. They've not bowed the knee. And we read through the prophetic books and from time to time there's different sizes and different portions of Israel but there's always a remnant and we come to this passage and it's a remnant that is only two legs and a piece of an ear. But there's always a remnant of God's people in this earth. And then we turn over to the New Testament because it always points us to the gospel and it always points us to Christ. And in Romans chapter 11 Paul says there is a remnant that is a remnant of grace. And God, in his judgment of this world, has extended to us his grace. And if you are a part of the family of God, if you are a part of his church, if you are one of those who has received the message of the gospel, you are a part of his remnant in this world. And it's a message, wherever there's a remnant, there is always hope. And we can look at this world and we can despair of all that's taken place and we can look on social media and you can listen to all your friends sharing the terrible things that are going on in our society and you can watch the news programs and they can tell you how terrible it is in Washington and how terrible it is in Hollywood and we can fill our minds with that or we can look to the Word of God and we can be reminded that the Spirit of God is still at work in His church in this world and there is still a remnant of grace and we are a part of that remnant of grace and God is still moving. There is always hope as long as there's a remnant. God says there's always going to be. And you see, this is the third reason for prophecy. It reminds us of man's humanity's rebellion. It reminds us of God's response. But it reminds us of our hope that we are a remnant. There are those who are ready to throw in the towel. I heard a Christian leader this week say, I do not believe it's even possible, even though God can do, listen to this, though God can do anything, I don't believe it's possible for there to be revival in American church. Well, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Let me tell you that the, the church, God's people, we are his remnant in this world, 
And as long as the remnant of his people are here, the Holy Spirit is resident in this world. And as long as the Holy Spirit is at work in this world, and he will be here as long as we are here, and he is at work, and he's the one that can still accomplish the work that needs to be done in this world. God is not finished in this world. God is not finished in his church. God is not finished in our church. God is not finished in your family. God is not finished in your school. God is not finished at your workplace. God is not finished with you. You are a part of that remnant, and as long as there is a le two legs or a piece of an ear, there is still hope for us, and there is still hope that God is at work. Our hope is in Christ, because it's through his grace that we are a part of that remnant. Two legs and a piece of an ear. What is the message for us this morning? The message is, is that if you are a, a person who's never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are in rebellion against God. You say, but I don't have anything against God. No, you're just born in a natural state of rebellion against God. But here's the good news. Our shepherd went into the mouth of the lion to snatch you out of his mouth. Just like about a, 10 people this morning, God has snatched one more, one more, one more from the mouth of the lion. And he, snatched, he will snatch you from the mouth of the lion. By his grace, you can be a part of the remnant of grace. This morning, simply by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, you can be a part. And then, then you can experience that hope that comes. People in this world need hope. This world offers no hope. Things look bad. Things look like they're getting worse. And the Bible does say things are going to wax worse and worse. But in Jesus Christ, we have hope. What about us as believers? The truth is, is that God is still at work. And what we need are some shepherds who will stand up. My heart is heavy this morning for parents who are burdened for their children, for husbands that are burdened for their marriages, for wives that are burdened for their marriages. My heart is heavy this morning for students that are concerned about friends and classmates, for those and people in their families, for those of you that have those in your neighborhood, those that you work with, and you're concerned about their soul. And we need some shepherds who will stand up and who will say, you know what, the devil may win, but he's not going to win without a fight. We need some husbands and wives that will go to war for their marriage who will say, I don't know how it's going to end up, but you know what, if the devil wins, or if the devil gets part of this, he'll get it with a fight. He'll only get, he'll only get a part. I'll stand there with two legs and a piece of an ear, and I'll know there's hope. We need parents who will stand and say, Satan's like a roaring lion, and he's seeking to devour my children. But I will fight with everything I have. I will not give up. I will not let go. I will not let the enemy take them without a fight. 
And it may, may be on my knees in prayer. And it may be keeping quiet about the things that I need to keep quiet about. And it may be being bold to speak about the things that I need to speak about. And it will certainly be with expressing and showing the love of Christ to them. But I will fight with everything that I have. And I will go to that lion and I will hold on to that lamb as long as I can. And as long as there's two legs and a piece of an ear, there is hope. And as long as the Holy Spirit is at work in this world, there is hope. And I will fight for all that I can. We need those who will stand by their friends when Satan's trying to sift them as sweet. And as Jesus prayed for Peter to come alongside as a shepherd, say, you know what, I'm going to stand by you and I'm going to fight for you and with you as long as we can because there's always hope through grace. We need some shepherds who will pray and love and speak the truth and fight with every weapon that God has put into our arsenal. And when the battle is over, we can say, Satan, you may think you've won, but I've got evidence that there is hope because there's two legs and a piece of an ear. Father, I pray this morning that there will be some shepherds that will step up and who will get in this altar and who will say, my friend, my family, my son, my daughter, my grandson, my husband, my wife, Satan is seeking to destroy but when the enemy comes in, you will raise up a standard. And Father, I pray that you'll raise up some shepherds that will fight with everything that they have. Because Lord, your prophecy, your word gives us hope that as long as we're in this world, you are not finished with us yet. You are not done working. Father, I pray for those that are about to throw in the towel and quit and say, what's the use? What's the point? I pray this morning they'll have a renewed commitment to go back into the fight, to grab a hold of that lamb and fight for all it's worth because it's worth fighting for.